You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 256. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum. This is a Tuesday show again. I know that's unusual. Uh, I'm actually thinking of rejiggering the schedule once we get a new hosting service. I'm kind of in a little bit of, I'll be honest, analysis paralysis for that right now. Anyone have any preferences on podcast hosting platform? I'd like to know. I've been letting it ride with SoundCloud for quite a while, but uh, I want those certified stats and, and some monetization options. So um, let me know if you have a favorite. Also, what is it? December 13th. December 13th is, uh, well, for me, it's an interesting day to go on time hop. I'm not going to say anything more about that. Uh, the name of today's episode is the broken world of big tech. So we're going to talk about uh, some things that might be uh, some things that have broken right now. Uh, but uh, maybe at the end, we'll have uh, kind of the, the glimmer of hope for the next wave, uh, which is already crashing upon us with chat GPT and things like that. I get asked about, I've been getting asked about chat GPT so much in the last few weeks that uh, it almost seems like we have to do several episodes on it. And, um, and it almost feels like, uh, to be honest, you know, all this talk of how it works, you know, how does, um, how does deep learning work? How do neural networks work? How does uh, backpropagation work? All of that has taken a, a, a sidestep to, you know, how do we use it? So a uh, very interesting shift in terms of what we focus on. But I want to focus on both. Anyway, that'll be coming up in a little bit. First of all, crypto winter. That is certainly something that is broken. The crypto industry, the first story that we haven't gotten to yet for a while because it's been such a roller coaster for me personally is the collapse of many major crypto companies in the industry. Um, and of course, most notably recently FTX. Um, but actually, it's a particular type of company that collapsed. They're, they're, the companies that uh, have been having problems uh, are lending platforms, yield platforms, and trading platforms in crypto life like FTX, which did not back their users' funds one-to-one and made a lot of uh, risky loans and probably uh, you know, illegal loans um, and failed spectacularly and miserably. And in fact, uh, authorities in the Bahamas just yesterday announced the arrest of Sam Bankman-Fried, who uh, in episode 233 was mentioned as a potential bailout partner of crypto firms after the collapse of Three Hours Arrows Capitals. So now it turns out that his firm had the biggest problems of them all. Um, I originally got into Bitcoin and later Ethereum because of the promise of this technology uncensorable value in the case of Bitcoin that's limited in its issuance of 21 million and that can be teleported anywhere in the world instantaneously. I think that is inherently valuable. Ethereum as the world computer able to execute all sorts of smart contracts. Well, it's Turing complete. Any smart contract that you can write and be a platform for developers to do permissionless innovation on top of. Let's not forget what this technology is. And people have done permissionless innovation on top of Ethereum and Bitcoin. And like most platforms for permissionless innovation, like the internet itself, most projects will fail and some will succeed. Um, I like to talk about this technology in the local maximum. We talk about it all the time. There are, you know, 
uh, too many. Uh, I don't want to go through all the list of uh, the, the full list of uh, of guests that we've had on, but we've done interviews on smart contracts, Bitcoin's Lightning Network, and people who actually live on crypto. So none of this has changed. That's the perspective I have. The only problem has been the companies and hedge funds that have grown up around this promising technology. Why did they grow around it? Because the technology is inherently valuable. Why did they end up failing spectacularly? Because the technology is inherently valuable and it's money itself. And big money invites big risk and big risk and big money uh, together invites inscrutable actors. I will be more reliant on self-custody in the future, as I will recommend to other people. And in fact, I'm becoming a purist in that sense. But self-custody, you all should know, is scary. No doubt about it. It's all on you, whether your security is good enough and whether you keep or lose your crypto. And while it's something that the average person can learn to do, I personally would suggest buying a hardware wallet like a Trezor or, or a Ledger and um, Anyone can buy it, and I feel like the instructions are pretty simple for an adult to follow. But even if you don't want to do that, you can get a phone wallet. Like, you know, on, on my phone, I have Coinomi, Jax, Blue Wallet, Edge. All of these can be figured out by most people. But it's another thing, in my opinion, to ask the average person to be able to keep what they have secured over many years. I believe the future is actually in some kind of hybrid system where, you know, um, a, an, an organization would keep some kind of a backup or, or, or some of your keys in a multi-sig or something like that. Um, uh, but anyway, in order to talk about that, we'd have to get dive deep into the technology. I just think that is probably the future of this thing. One company that seems to have survived, which we talked about in the past, um, obviously a stock price is down a lot, but uh, I've been using this one the longest. That's Coinbase. Coinbase is custodial, but they've uh, been a good actor uh, for the most part. They have, um, uh, well, as far as I know, uh, and they uh, back their assets one-to-one, -one, which is what they say. I mean, and, and I, I, I'm not um, hedging because I have any problem with Coinbase. In particular, I'm hedging because after what we've heard from other actors in the industry over the last year, I don't believe anybody. But Coinbase says they back their assets one-to-one. -one. They seem to provide proof uh, of this, um, you know, proof of reserves, though it's hard for me to confirm that personally. But kudos to Brian Armstrong for maintaining this policy, which if they are true to it, I think it will set up Coinbase for another big rise in the future. And I also think that um, Coinbase is... Uh, is I remember earlier when, uh, what was it, a year and a half ago when Coinbase, actually we did an episode on this, it was called Coinbase Goes Apolitical, when everyone was losing their minds last year in 2021 when Coinbase says, you know, we're not going to do political activism at work unless it has to do with our particular, uh, you know, our particular business line. That was episode 139, Coinbase Goes Apolitical in Libra language. <laughs> we were talking about Libra back then. The Facebook coin, remember that was supposed to place every replace everything? Uh, just shows how full of it everyone is. Uh, but that will serve Coinbase uh, 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 well as well, uh, their, their mission-focused policy. And, uh, you know, come to think of it, I wasn't thinking Coinbase is a, is a good buy right now. It might be. Um, I'm, I don't give financial advice. As you know, everyone always has to say they don't give financial advice, but I'm just, I'm thinking aloud here. But, uh, you know, um, 
I, I, I want to point out the difference between how Coinbase was treated when they said, hey, you know, we, uh, we want a mission-focused workplace and we don't want people to bring in their individual political activism. And, and you know, the, the media, the New York Times went crazy like, you know, oh, they're probably they're a bunch of racists over there. And then when Sam Bankman-Fried, uh, you know, does a rug pull and everyone loses their money. And that's going to be, uh, it look, I don't know what the case is with FTX US, but at least the international one is um, uh, the people they owe money are going to get like, a, you know, pennies on the dollar, it seems like, uh, of, of, of recovery. Um, I don't know if the US one is going to be any different. I hope it is. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that's a much larger recovery, but we'll see. Uh, the trouble is that when you wa- want to buy a particular cryptocurrency or a coin, you want exposure to that coin. If I buy Bitcoin, if I buy Ethereum, I don't mind if it goes up or down. But if you put your money on these platforms, you are exposing yourself to deals, coins, and all sorts of um, unscrupulous people, who some of them who think they're smarter than they really are, that you didn't even know existed. And that is very frustrating for the average person, um, and it could be devastating for some people. So, so what's left? You know, the so-called crypto industry, which... I love having cryptocurrency. I love the technology, but I want nothing to do with the crypto industry, especially after this year. It is in ruins. Even the so-called good actors are hurting. Um, you know, Coinbase is staying alive, which is going to be enough, but, but, but everyone's hurting. The protocols and the networks themselves, those are working better than ever. Bitcoin's total hash rate, the amount of computing power in the network is at an all-time high. Ethereum went through a big tech change recently with with its merge to proof of stake. It's a very, uh, it, it's a very uh, uh, dramatic uh, and uh, technical achievement. There are disagreements on whether they should be doing that or not. But it's it's a it's a pretty big achievement to to have that come together on on a blockchain type situation. So so kudos to them. And while the value of these currencies today seem very low compared to their all time high, uh, they have actually held up. Uh, I think, given uh, everything that's happened, let's view it another way. Like the value of the Bitcoin and Ethereum tokens uh, together is about the same as it was when I decided to move to New Hampshire two years ago. And at the time, it seemed very high compared to earlier in the year with the COVID crash, where you know Bitcoin was down in the three thousands or somewhat. So that's a little perspective. You have to have this perspective in this um, industry, <laughs> particularly if you're uh, if you're uh, if you're investing in it. Uh, if you're not investing it, but you're just interested in the in the technology you still have to have that perspective where like you know the uh the dot-com crash of 2000 2001 uh actually kind of signaled the the rebirth of the internet uh not the uh not the end of the internet but a lot of uh bad companies kind of got washed away so where does this leave us now we have a developing network a developing protocol that is hyper resilient but the systems built on top of it were a house of cards uh, this is not new. I remember, you know, Mount Gox and others, but it certainly has come to a surprise, as a surprise, uh, to see public and regulated companies in the United States falter, uh, as well as some of the shady offshores one, which, which you know, Mount Gox was obviously very shady. This is from Vitalik uh, Buterin, who is, or Buterin, I, I don't know how to pronounce it, but um, he was, uh, he's the founder of, uh, of Ethereum, one of the founders, well, the, well, the founder, obviously there were a lot of people on the team to get that thing off the ground. He writes, Mount Gox, uh, which collapsed, I believe, in 2014, Mount Gox looked sketchy, and never tried too hard to whitewash itself. Luna 2, FTX was the opposite and did full-on compliance virtue signaling, not the same as actual compliance, the second kind of fraud, 
cuts deeper than the first. And FTX, uh, of course, looks shady now, but other companies like you know Voyager, BlockFi, and a few others look more legit still. Uh, Bitcoin maximalist Safadine Amos, an author of The Bitcoin Standard, says, why take your Bitcoin off exchanges? Bitcoin exchanges are run by people who learned fiat finance. Gambling with depositors' money is normal and healthy for them because the fiat system and the central bank destroys the currency to bail them out every time it goes wrong. And I think that the part of this that rings true to me is that these assets are very different than assets that money managers are used to dealing with in the past, particularly Bitcoin and Ethereum with very low and immutable issuance rates. Uh, there are people who say that uh, these have properties that make them impossible to lend out safely. Uh, now, I'm going to hedge on, on that a little bit. I, I don't think they're really impossible to lend out. If you are a lender of these and you get collateral properly and you have the system in place to liquidate that collateral at the proper time, then those are loans where uh, you know you can you can make money on. And there are legitimate reasons to take out loans. What about the people on the other side? Are they always going to uh, are they always going to collapse? Uh, well, you know, um, if they don't know what they're doing, yes. But there are there are reasons. You know, maybe hedging. Maybe maybe you're exposed to some of these coins and you don't want to be, so you're hedging on the downside a little bit. Um, perhaps uh, people can be doing cross exchange arbitrage where they're simultaneously selling on one exchange and buying on another. Uh, in order to uh, in order to take uh, advantage of the price differential, so there are there are narrow reasons to to borrow this and make uh, money off it a, a bit. And of course, Ethereum, especially Ethereum, now that it's proof of stake, you know there will be, there is a way to kind of stake the Ethereum and uh, use it to um, use it to secure the network, and the network rewards you with the uh, transaction fees, and you get a little rate of return on that. Um, now, of course. Uh, the rate of return it, that those coins are kind of locked up until Ethereum makes more changes. So that's very risky right now, but um, in the future, that might actually be um, that might actually be a way to earn a rate of return off of Ethereum. Some people have said maybe the Lightning Network on Bitcoin can offer a rate of return, but okay, there are ways to make a return on these investments, and there are people who say that there are none whatsoever. I think there might be a few, but are the lenders actually? finding those use cases in a limited world, because if not, uh, the whole argument is mute. Can you find an organization where your main risk to lending out the assets is essentially agreeing to have them locked up for a certain period of time, then you make a small uh, small gain on it? Or are they exposing themselves to other risks that go deep, deep into a rabbit hole? Almost certainly the latter, so it seems, so so we've learned. So that's a, that's a big problem. So now the whole cycle starts again, and what remains... Uh, will, will, will people will build upon and perhaps new mistakes in the next cycle, not perhaps, definitely new mistakes in the next cycle, uh, along with more catastrophic errors. I'm going to hope to catch the errors better this time. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, I, I'm kind of sick of hearing about people like SBF who, you know, don't know anything about how crypto works. I, 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 he, he says he's not technical at all. I mean, I don't know if that's true, but you know, these, a lot of these people have done nothing for the technology. Um, they've done destruction for the industry. And I don't even, you know, there are people like, oh, he's going to get arrested. He, well, how, much, how, how much time in jail he's going to get? I just, I don't even want to follow it, to be honest. I want to move on. Uh, all right. The Twitter files, number two. Whatever you think of this, and I believe I called it at the time or came close to with my episode entitled Decentralizing Before Our Eyes, which was took place right after 
Donald Trump was banned from Twitter, where I said this idea of centralized decision making on social media is coming to an end. The dissenting employee, there was a dissenting employee, uh, according to the Twitter files. Um, so while this was going on, there was like one employee who said this is this wasn't a good idea. Um, and uh, he used a word which I haven't used yet. But uh, now that I think about it, I think that word seems appropriate. He said it was unsustainable to have a small group of people deciding which content gets out for essentially the entire world. You know, unsustainable is not a state of affairs that could continue for very long. And it wasn't just the booting of Donald Trump. It was related to the whole, a whole host of accounts. And we, we knew this. And it was done arbitrarily from the top and oftentimes at the urging of government agencies, uh, which is probably the most concerning thing about this whole thing. Okay, you have a bunch of, you, you have a bunch of crazed people at Twitter going left and right, trying to ban whoever they feel like broke the rules and not following the rules. Okay, that's one thing. It's just a private company doing crazy stuff. But the fact that um, government agencies like the FBI are coming in to um, tell them what, which to, what to leave up, what to take down. Uh, well, I guess not what to leave up. <laughs> but uh, I, I assume if they were to censor the FBI, the FBI would say, no, leave us up. But um, and it also seems like, you know, they're, they're constantly, you know, all those messages where, where these government agencies were, are, are, are to me the most, the most disturbing. I think I said that already. And, you know, okay, that you had people in the Biden campaign, that's, that's bad, but they kept doing it once they got in power. So that's, a, that's even worse. Um, so it wasn't sustainable. And now what do we have? Elon Musk, Mastodon, Web3, seems like we are in a post-social media world where, all of these things are important, but we'll have to look at big news events going forward to see how and whether um, things have changed. I'm pretty sure it has changed, but I'm also pretty sure that the resulting system that has come out of all this, where Twitter, essentially, the, it's not that Twitter collapsed, but the old management of Twitter collapsed. You could say they got bought out, but you know, they, they were, Elon was able to buy them out because you know, they really didn't have a path forward to make that much more uh, 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 money. I, I think if he kind of stepped back and didn't bail them out, their stock price would have plummeted, and some someone else would have taken them taken them out. Mastodon. Now that Elon Musk has thrown everything into chaos, Mastodon, which I also mentioned in that um, episode, decentralizing before our eyes, which that's that's got to be one of the most uh, quotable um, um, episodes. Episode one fifty three. Um, I also mentioned Mastodon way back then. Um, so this resulting system of fragmentation, I'm pretty sure it's not my ideal system or a better system, uh, but it is a broken world of social media. And this broken world includes Facebook, which kind of is a shell of its former self as a social media platform, uh, as a news platform, for sure. People don't get their news from Facebook anymore, but it's still very popular. I mean, you know, some people do, um, and it's still very popular and powerful. And they're currently trying to do a hard pivot to meta um, and you know, <laughs> we'll see what happens with that. Good luck with that, uh, Mark Zuckerberg. And then we have, a, of course, Twitter under the control of Elon Musk, who's changing everything, and we're really unsure about what direction he'll end up with. I don't think he'll have this hands-on management of just uh, throwing everything into disarray uh, for forever. I think he's going to rearrange things. Uh, you know, he'll he'll set it up in a different way than it was set up before, and then He'll let it run. Maybe he'll pass it off to other people. So we'll see. We have a YouTube who, whose usage numbers are still growing, 
but they are on diminishing returns and YouTube is known less and less as kind of an, an original channel of information. And we have a bunch of alt platforms and decentralized platform. Rumble is alt, Odyssey Library um, is, uh, is, is a decentralized platform. Of course, Library recently lost their, uh, lost their case with the SEC. And so, um, you know, the, it's, it's a, it's decentralized system, so it doesn't go away. But you know, I'm concerned about whether there'll actually be an organization there to develop on top of it. I hope there will be, but that's kind of put everything into uh, a big unknown for, for them. We have uh, uh, Mastodon. That's uh, both an alt and a decentralized platform. Trump's to Truth Social would be characterized as an alt, which I mean like just kind of a, a copy, but an alternative of, of Twitter. Um, but of course, the, the Truth Social with the draw being that single person, Trump, who um, uh, a lot of people, I guess, uh, sign up to um, read his tweets in real time, but I'm happy waiting back because I know they're going to get to me anyway. Uh, something is going to emerge from all these pieces, whether it's a single platform or protocol or some new order among the many players. It will seem obvious in retrospect what they do, but right now it's not obvious at all. So I look forward to following and analyzing the media technical landscape uh, of this with Aaron and others over the course of the next year, over the course of 2024. All right. So that is the broken world of big tech. And I think uh, at the end, I'll talk about how we're, we're starting to put it together again, because that's, um, you know, a year ago, I had an episode called Tech at its Saturation Point, mean, meaning that we were at a local maximum. And we have to step back and get worse uh, before things get better. And look, we're, 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 we're doing just that. We took a, uh, we, we backed up, uh, we broke some things that weren't working, and now we've got to climb the bigger hill. And so I think that's going to come, uh, that, that, that's going to come in the coming months and coming years. And, um, you know, it, it's, you know, broken world sounds bad, but on, on the other hand, it could be very exciting. So look forward to that. All right, now time for our segment. And now, the probability distribution of the week. All right, probability distribution of the week. Now, uh, today is going to actually be a um, an extension of last week's probability distribution. Last week, we spoke about the Poisson distribution. That was in episode uh, 255. Let me make sure I get the link for the, 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 um, for the, uh, for the show notes here. Uh, so the Poisson distribution, just to, uh, just to, uh, just to review, is a distribution among counts. So you have some event, and it happens very randomly. You know, it happens uniformly. So like, you know, every minute this event might happen on average, you know, once per minute. Maybe you're counting customers into a, a store. Maybe you're counting cars going by. Maybe you're, uh, you know, you're, you're counting, I don't know, uh, 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 um, uh, uh, if you have, what do they call it, an asteroid? <laughs> no, shooting stars or something like that. Those are pretty infrequently. But they're, but let's say they're random uh, and it happens at, at a certain rate. Uh, then if, if something happens at a rate of like, 
you know, let's say uh, uh, once every two minutes, maybe an average of 30 times per hour. But let's say even if it's not exactly 30 times per hour, it could be any positive number, maybe Uh, 30.3 times per hour, then the actual count you get could be 30, it could be 31, could be 29, could be, actually could be any count because you could have like a lucky draw and get much higher and much lower, but it'll tend to be around that center. And that is the Poisson distribution. Now, uh, we also spoke about uh, uh, last week how the Poisson distribution doesn't have to be over a, uh, you, you know, over a, um, over a time period where it's, it's uniform. So l- let me give another example. Let's say you're using the example of, um, of, uh, of uh, cars going by on a highway. Let's suppose you start, let's say it doesn't like clog up or anything you know, with, uh, with traffic, but let's say you start off one hour, which is like rush hour, and you have like 10 cars per minute, and then the second hour, which is not rush hour, you have on average four cars per minute. Now, each hour might be uniform uh, within that hour. I mean, that would be kind of a strange situation where, you know, click, that minute goes by and all of a sudden the rate goes down. But let's say that's what it is. Then if you put those two hours together, one is um, uh, 10 cars per minute, sorry, one is 10 cars per minute, and then the second one is uh, is four cars per minute. Well, the first hour, the expectation is 10 cars per minute times, uh, oh, now I have to do, I, I made these numbers up, see, on the, on the, uh, uh, on the fly, and now I have to, and uh, <laughs> now I have to, uh, now I have to add them. Uh, okay, so, uh, no, let me do this. I got myself into this situation. So the first one is uh, 10 cars per minute, right? So per hour, that would be 600 cars per hour. The second one is four cars per minute, and then you'll end up with 240 cars per hour. So the first hour, you expect 600 cars. The second hour, you expect 240 cars. Now, can you put that together? And the answer is yes. You could put that together. So over the two hours, you can expect uh, 600 plus 240. You can expect 840 cars. And um, that's what's so great about the Poisson distribution. It's additive. And that you could say, okay, so now my expectation for the number of cars that go by over those two hours is actually going to be uh, the Poisson distribution of of with uh, with an average rate of eight forty over one unit of time, um, which is the same of a Poisson distribution of a rate of one over eight hundred and forty units of time. See how it works? So it's really cool that Poisson is additive, and so. That leads us to something called the non-homogeneous Poisson process, uh, which is really the same as a Poisson distribution. Uh, but the cool thing is, is that like we divide up into those two hours, uh, you know, we have two hours. If we look at the first hour, then the first hour has a different rate than the second hour. So you could still divide up that Poisson distribution into two Poisson distributions that add, but they don't need to be the same rate. And so the same thing can happen if if you have kind of a curve uh, where the rate is like, let's say, and and this would actually be a a good example of over uh, rush hour to to evening, where the rate of cars, it probably doesn't change right on the dot. It probably is a smooth curve that curves down. Maybe you have a certain amount of cars per minute. Maybe you start at 10 cars per minute, and then it slowly reduces to four cars per minute. And then overnight, it slowly reduces to like 
half a car per minute or something like that. One car every five minutes at four in the morning or something like that. Uh, so um, you can you can figure out these smooth curves. And if you know the smooth curve, then all you have to do is take a, uh, an, if you want to know what the Poisson distribution of the count in a particular uh, in a particular segment is, like from this time to that time, all you have to do is find the area under the curve, the integral, and then uh, that area is the parameter for the Poisson distribution. So this is known as a non-homogeneous Poisson process. Non-homogeneous just means that it's something that changes, and so it's like if you divide it up, the, you're dividing up one Poisson into several Poissons, but those several Poissons don't need to be homogeneous. It doesn't need to be like, oh, this minute has the same count as that minute, and so on and so forth. Now, there are other uses to this as well, um, because before we've been um, you know, using our kind of unit of account. No, that's a... That's a, um, that's a monetary thing. We, we've been using the unit of time over which to count, um, you know, over which to, to kind of measure our Poisson distribution. So presumably more time, you could expect more, uh, more events. Less time, you could expect less events. But because we're non-homogeneous now, every uh, particular unit of time might not have the same expected number of events. Okay, that's fine. Um, but do we have to use a unit of time? And the answer is no, we don't. Um, really, if you have a non-homogeneous Poisson distribution, you could use, uh, you could have random events or random points uh, selected over really any uh, any space that is is measurable. Meaning, you can have a curve on it that 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 has that, that has integrals. Uh, so this is getting into measure theory a little bit, which I think is really cool. So one example could be. Um, Let's suppose you have like, uh, well, the stars in the sky cluster. They might cluster, uh, but okay. But that's probably a, a good. That's probably a good idea. You know, stars in the sky. Maybe they are they're randomly distributed, uh, but we know that there are certain parts of the sky, like when you look toward the center of the galaxy, that has a higher rate of visible stars. So you can kind of make a curve, and then if you take some patch of the sky. Um, and then you know measure that patch. How big is it? And then look at the concentration of stars. That's how many stars you can expect to see in that patch. Now, of course, uh, the, 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 that's not played over and over again. The stars are are uh, are actually uh, you know they they, they don't uh, they don't regenerate every single time. But I actually think a a a, a, a star rate a, a a smooth rate of stars would actually be an interesting kind of kind of a solution there. Again, I'm kind of coming, coming uh, on this off the top of my head. I mean, another one might be just random dots on a piece of paper or, you know, uh, or swarms of uh, fireflies or something like that. So basically anything that you can, you, you can come up with a measure for 2D space, 3D space, any kind of crazy mathematical space that you can think of. Uh, so I think that's really interesting. And what's really cool about this, now that I think about it, like, you know, we're all kind of used to the idea of having a data set where you can get the, the mean and the standard deviation, right? You learn that in high school. And so usually you have a bunch of dots, a bunch of points on the real number line, and you, know, you add them up, you divide by the number, and you get the mean, you get the standard deviation. And if it's normally distributed, and we haven't gone over the normal distribution yet, I'm saving that for later, uh, then you can create like a normal curve on top of it. But let's suppose you don't really know the normal curve and you're only looking at the points over 
that are between, let's say you're taking some measurement, right? But if the measurement is too high or too low, it's for some reason it got thrown out. Um, and for some reason you want to keep, uh, keep in, in mind how many measurements were taken, then, uh, you know, maybe trying to fit a Poisson curve on top of that, uh, or even using the, the normal distribution as a Poisson curve is, is possible. I want to think about that some more. What do you think about what I'm saying? Uh, do you, can you think of any good uses of a non-homogeneous Poisson distribution other than what I said or anything maybe that's related to what I said that's pretty obvious that I'm missing? Email us at localmaxradio at gmail.com or join our locals, maximum.locals.com. It's really funny. On the locals recently, I, I had a, a back and forth with chat GPT the other day. and I had it create a, a rap battle between me and Kara Swisher. For some reason, I picked that out of a hat. Um, it was actually pretty funny. Uh, and uh, you think it's really smart, but, you know, I I told, I added a few things and I told it to, I had to like keep telling it to make it rhyme, and which it, it wasn't very good at. And then I, I uh, but you could see it came up with some good lines. But of course, it's not as, uh, it's not as cool as you think it is because when you have other rap battles between other like historical figures and stuff, you'll find that it uses the same phrases and the same things all over and over again. So it's not that creative yet, but the technology is showing promise. And as I said, I want to do a newer update with Aaron on some of the more most promising technologies of this year, uh, including continuing coverage of ChatGPT, which is just one of them. There's a, there's a lot more. And it's great to see Local Maximum listener Aaron Margolis quoted in the New York Times recently. And I want to do a deeper dive into that article. So maybe we will do that next week uh, on the Local Maximum. Also, some exciting news for me. I am currently on a job search. I got a lot done while I was working full-time on my own Local Maximum Labs, and we'll probably have a uh, a, a, uh, a whole, uh, we could do several episodes on that, but I think it's time to, to continue uh, on the job market uh, for a variety of reasons, so we'll talk about that, uh, and uh, I have some exciting news uh, to share there as well, but I'm currently in interviews, which is uh, kind of a uh, kind of a, a long process. It's actually, good that I have several. So uh, we'll see how it goes. All right. So for next time, maybe we'll talk about the New York Times article. I also did an interview with Gene Epstein of the Soho Forum, where he uh, he critiqued both my podcast, my uh, the debate that I did, where I defended democracy against monarchy he he uh, he critiqued that and he critiqued the, uh, the 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 blog post that I did which was 10 things that I learned from um, uh, from, uh, for, from from doing the debate so if you're interested in that look forward to that I might save that for over the holidays and also um, when I say critique, like you know, he he said good things most of the time. Although he did give me some hard time, he did give me a hard time on certain things. So uh, you'll look forward to that. It was a lot of fun. It was a it was a fun, um, you know, high high content conversation uh, where we we got into the nitty gritty. So enjoy that. All right, have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support the local maximum. Sign up for exclusive content and our online community at Maximum.Locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at LocalMaxRadio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to LocalMaxRadio at gmail.com. 
Have a great week. Feel the power. 